Good evening, everyone. Welcome back into the Creighton Volleyball Wrap-Up Podcast, uh, Season 3, Episode 8. Getting close to the end of uh, the season now. It's crunch time. As What does Kirsten say, Megan? Uh, October is where championships are won, right? Is that the month? Like, What's November? Yeah, yeah I think the, the big emphasis is that October is really hard because it's just that middle point of season where you're not really competing for championships, but you're playing games that a lot of times you are expected to win and it can just be kind of a lull of like traveling and being home and just that middle of Big East season. So it's that second part of season is what she would always call it with, you know, the third part being the Big East tournament and NCAA tournament, hopefully. Gotcha. So yeah, uh, for the uninitiated, I'm Matty Marinas. Uh, she is Megan Epperson. Megan Epperson, excuse me. Uh, we're your host of this show. Um, and yeah, so it's October 23rd as of this recording, so November's right around the corner. Um, but the way things have kind of shaken out in the Big East, uh, Creighton's kind of got their destiny in their hands right now. Um, you know, this is kind of the position they would probably want to be, find themselves in, but I think, you know, when with the 4-2 and two start, which was obviously a, a big oddity for Creighton, they don't usually lose two of their first six in conference play. Sometimes they don't even lose two in conference play all season. Um, so it probably put them behind the eight ball, and he started to wonder. I know – I'm not sure if I said it on the pod. I know I thought it. I probably, probably, I probably said it, but I felt like after Marquette beat Creighton in Milwaukee that that was a wrap on the title. I just didn't see anyone beating Marquette besides Creighton. And that doesn't work out for Creighton to catch them then. But St. John's gave the Jays a gift uh, – Last weekend or two weekends ago, I can't remember now. It's all blurring together. But either way, Marquette's now in the driver's seat in the Big East at nine and one. Creighton's eight and two. St. John's is eight and two. And Xavier, God bless them, is four and four since they beat Creighton. So basically, they punted on their season after the big win. Um, they have not been good since. I don't know what the heck happened. But uh, so it's basically a three-team race now, unless something absolutely crazy happens. <laughs> That's something absolutely crazy happens. Um, and, you know, Creighton plays St. John's again. They play Marquette again. Uh, so there's, you know, the path is there for them as long as they take care of what's in front of them, that they will, you know, have an opportunity to clinch at least a share of their 10th straight regular season title. So that's probably like, I don't know, Meg, it, you know, just before we jump into UConn and Providence, which were wipeouts that we won't have to talk too much about, but. Before we jump into those matches, like if you're sitting here eight and two, late October, you know you're a game back of the lead, you know you're playing the league leader one more time in your own gym. If you're the team, are you starting to think about, you know, just are you staying one match at a time? Or are you starting to think about like, look, if we just, you know, do what we do day to day in training. You know, focus on scout, handle our business, take care of the schedule one at a time. You know, we can put our, put ourselves in position to win another championship. Is that entering your mind at all at this point of the year, do you think? Definitely. And I think, I mean, the thing that's impressive and I'm sure we'll touch on a little bit later is just the different lineups and people that have been in and out throughout this short conference season so far and just the impressive performance that Creighton has been able 
you know, to uphold, I think their level of play has been, you know, obviously in a match, it can dip set to set and that sort of stuff. And you can get in lulls of things, passing or attacking anything, you know, just that's volleyball. But for the most part, they've done a good job, whoever's in there of maintaining a, a Creighton standard of play. And for me, that's really impressive. And then just looking ahead to the schedule, like you said, you get Marquette at home, you get Xavier at home who beat you on the road. I think those things in my mind look really good if you're a Creighton player and, um, you know, just to have struggled against a team, obviously, like you said, Xavier hasn't performed well since then. So you never know what you're going to get, but at the same time, Creighton expects to get everyone's best shot as does Marquette in those top teams in the league. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, I mean, you mentioned it. It's kind of probably what everyone wants to hear us talk about um, because it just seems like w- in terms of player availability, it's kind of one giant step forward and then two giant steps back with this season, the way it's gone. And, you know, I mean, we have to circle back to something that Coach Booth said in the preseason after they played Northern Colorado in that public exhibition at, at Sokol was that you know, she had kind of an inkling that this was a really deep team. And and just for, you know, just to be transparent, like, honestly, I've been doing this like over 10 years. Every coach says that in the preseason. Like, they all kind of feel like the depth is going to be a strength. And then all of a sudden the season plays out and you kind of see what players are capable of when the lights are on. And then you feel differently about actually who you trust in moments and who you don't. Um, this Creighton team is kind of bucking that trend a little bit. They actually are kind of like walking that walk a little bit because they've had to, honestly, right? Like, you know, Nora Sis missed five weeks. Um, Ellie Bickelmeyer had a shoulder issue that she recently had a cortisone shot in to kind of like shore up. Um, I mean, Kendra Waite's been banged up, not playing at a hundred percent. You've missed, uh, now Ellie Bolton has an ankle injury, sprained ankle. That sounds like a pretty, pretty good one. That might be a you know a multiple week situation. And you have Amory Remus and Destiny Adam Simpson, both with with concussions. And you know you know how concussions are like those things just kind of heal differently from different people how they want to. It's all about how you respond. Um, so those are really kind of like uncertain in terms of a timeline. And then you have Sydney Breisinger, a freshman who has. You know, played pretty well as a as a DS. I think probably more more of an impact this year than maybe people thought on paper coming in. You know, she's been great from the service line. She's made some really good digs for Creighton. Played really great defense. Passed really well. So they've they're missing some big pieces right now. And on, you know, they get Nora back, but now you have four key cogs that are out. And for them to perform the way they did this weekend, I echo your sentiment in terms of it's hard to come away anything but impressed. Even though UConn and Providence are the two team, two worst teams in the league this year, you know that if you're missing players and you have people in positions that they haven't played in all season, like that can turn into a dogfight if you're a little bit uncertain of what you're doing out there. But it just seemed like Creighton just rolled out there, figured out the rotations, how they were gonna, you know, match up and and play without these key pieces, and they just executed, you know. To a, to a high standard in order to get two dominant sweeps this weekend. 
Yeah, I think the impressive thing for me in both the the matches this weekend, I thought was the first set. You know, Creighton kind of stormed out of the gates and just took care of business and established themselves. And they're like, we're here to play. You know, it was no problem of, oh, we had a slow start. We have to dig ourselves out of a hole and that sort of stuff. Because when you play teams that, I mean, on paper, these teams, as you said, are the worst in the Big East. It's not a foe that you're looking at across the net like, oh, like I'm scared we're going to lose this, right? But it has to be that mentality of let's have urgency, like no matter the team on the other side of the net, like let's have the urgency, let's play really well. And with all the players that have been in and out and people in different positions than maybe they were in the beginning of the season, now they're, they were out, now they're back, you know, that's the hard part of can we all gel together and throw whoever's available and can best play that position out there. I think I can't hear you if I don't know if you're My fault. I, I, I muted okay. while you were talking. I like, Sorry I about that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. I was, I usually mute while Meg talks. So um, <laughs> my bad. Uh, so what I was saying was, uh, before we get into talking about the studs, um, and the return of Norris into six rotations, how about Katie Mazer real quick? Like hometown kid from Nebraska, you know, kind of a soft-spoken, really good teammate, you know, but hasn't gotten any playing time her whole career, right? She's kind of just, I think she got, you know, some opportunities in the spring, maybe sophomore year maybe i think um but you know either way she's just kind of one of those you know really great teammates but you're not going to look for her to change a match right in in the season but you know you have all these injuries and all of a sudden you know you just throw her in there and you know four assists five digs against yukon uh two aces three digs against providence i mean if you're talking about players who stepped up no one's going to look at the box score and say, oh, yeah, you know, Katie Mazur was definitely a difference maker in this match and took it over. But like you and I know, and certainly Creighton's team knows, that that was pretty big time because when you're down to, you know, dwindling numbers in terms of players you can put on the court and someone comes out there who doesn't have a lot of playing time, doesn't have a lot of match experience, and they step up and they kind of handle the business, that's really impressive. And it's a cool story because Katie's, you know, hung around, been a good teammate and got her opportunity and made the most of it, right? Yeah, for sure. I think this weekend was just a really cool experience for her, obviously. And she made an impact. And I think that's the thing. It's like as much as like we need bodies, right? Like when you get to this point in the season, you have people injured like, okay, who can we throw in this position? And can they maintain a level of play that we need? But for her, like, she got aces. She got digs. So, you know, that's her making an impact. It's not just that, oh, I'm thrown in here and they're trying to get me out of the way. People are trying to jump in front of me and take balls from me and just like hide me. Right. Like I'm making an impact. And for her, I think that would have felt very, very good, especially as you said, she's a senior. She's stuck around. She hasn't gotten court time really in like situations in conference or in big time matches and for her to just go out there and play her role really well and do what she was asked and do it at a high level is really impressive yeah and honestly if you watch the providence match you know creighton dominated set one had to rally in set two and then katie mazer was the one who went on a service run 
in three to really give Creighton a big cushion early in three and kind of let them just cruise, you know? So yeah, there, I think everyone probably on that team knows like felt the impact of her stepping into that role and taking over and, and making plays in timely situations uh, when the Jays needed some. So, you know, you're going to look at this weekend, I think as time goes on and say, Oh yeah, they swept the two worst teams in the league and did it easily. And, you know, she might get kind of forgotten a little bit, but so I, you know, I just wanted to make sure, you know, we gave a tip of the cap to her because she was big time this weekend in a situation that was, you know, fairly dire for Creighton in terms of just honestly player availability. Like you just don't have any players to put out there. It's not, there's not that much left, you know? Um. So yeah, big time, big time hat tip to Katie Mazer for stepping up. Um. So let's jump into now the return of Nora Sis. As a six rotation stud, I think that was probably the one. I guess if you're looking for a silver lining in 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 losing two more key pieces, especially your starting libero, and you know a freshman in Destiny to Dom Simpson, who we had been talking about the last two podcasts about how you know he's really starting to level up in terms of her efficiency and her shot diversity, and you know it looks like she's kind of there's always that kind of. Uh, I don't know. It's uh, it's at some point for freshmen when you get late into your freshman year, you're not a freshman anymore. That kind of sentiment, you know, is you just have a lot of experience and you kind of know your role and you know what you're supposed to do out there and you kind of figure things out. I th- it looked like she had got to that spot, you know, because her efficiency had gone up. You know, she wasn't error prone as much anymore, and she had put together a really good stretch. And you're like, okay, maybe this is like a start of a of a springboard into what, you know, she's going to look like for the second, maybe she's adjusted now. Now it's time for people to adjust to her kind of part of her career. And so for her to go out, that's a really big loss for Creighton because that was a big focal point of their offense, certainly their front row attack. And it maybe would have allowed them to work Norris in a little bit slower because you have a front court option for her to sub her out and then swap out in the back row and things like that. So the silver lining was that, Nora got cleared. Uh, I think she was still on a cap from an attack standpoint, but not anything to the point where she couldn't play three rotations and be a be a cog. Um, but man, was she big time this weekend! Just announcing her return emphatically. Big East Offensive Player of the Week. Hit over four hundred in both matches. Um. I don't know, like an in case you forgot moment, right? Like, oh yeah, here's Nora Sis. Like, what did it look like to you out there? Did she look did she look Nora like? Did you see a lot of that that confidence, that swagger, that joy, that ability to hit multiple spots in the court, mixed speeds, things like that out of Nora this weekend? Yeah, for sure. And I know I saw a stat that um in that second match this weekend, she hit her season best 440 hitting percentage. So for me, I think, I mean, she struggled a little bit in, you know, preseason, not for Nora, right? Struggle is not really maybe the right word, but she wasn't quite up to maybe her standard or what other people's standard are is for her. So for sure. to have her come back and have one of her best offensive performances this season, I think was really a cool moment. Obviously, it's hard um, for a player like her to, to just sit on the bench, you know, for weeks on end and think about the impact she could have. So for her to come out and, you know, put her mark on the match, be a really big impact player, I'm sure that had to feel really good, almost a sense of relief of like, okay, I I can play, I can do this, you know, I can play at a really high level. Yeah. 
she had 11 digs and two blocks against UConn and five digs and three blocks against Providence. So it was one of those just all around Nora type performances that we, you know, had grown accustomed to. And, you know, for her to do it in her first time back playing six row, it's kind of crazy, but there's something that jumped out at me this weekend. That's kind of even crazier. And it's something we've talked about in the, in kind of past episodes this season was Creighton's ability to terminate in transition, you know, kind of like when, you know, when it's not a perfect dig, you know, because those are, they're not usually passing threes on digs, you know. Um, so you need someone out of the back row uh, who can just like fly in there and, and get a kill. Uh, you need someone on the pin you can go to when you're a little bit out of system um, and have confidence they're going to put the ball down, right? And, for the five weeks that Nora was out, Ava Martin was carrying a big load there. But when it's just kind of when you know it's Ava Martin, it's probably easier for opponents to key in on that and say, look, you know, if we get them out of system, this is where they're going likely. So just, you know, understand that when that ball's that when that first ball is not perfect for them, they're probably going to number eight. So, you know, get lined up properly. When now Nora and Ava both play in six rotations at the same time. You know, we kind of saw how deadly that could be offensively because both of them had really great weekends. You know, Nora and Ava were both over 400 against UConn, and while Nora hit 440 against Providence, Ava was at 312 with only two errors on 16 swings. So um, you saw how potent it can be when you have two big-time, big-time six-rotation power hitters um, that can help terminate and transition, and it reflected in Creighton's performance. As a team, Creighton hit 459, in transition and did not get blocked at all on 61 swings against UConn. And then they hit 540, 540 against Providence on 50 swings and did not get blocked at all on those. So, like, you're talking about just absolutely absurd, gaudy, outrageous numbers out of your transition attack. And Nora Sis had a lot of her kills in that. I think on the weekend she had 28 kills, 23 of them came in transition. And it only took her 41 swings to get them. So, I mean, so she hit 478 against UConn in transition, then 556 in transition against against Providence. I mean, just I saw that and I go, this can't be right. You know what I mean? This is just, these are insane numbers for transition because that's not normally, like you said, like we've said before, it's not, you're not usually getting perfect balls in transition. Usually it's kind of like you kind of have to make, make something out of nothing sometimes, you know? What do you make of her? terminating that 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 high of a level and how the ripple effect seemed to impact Creighton's offense in dig transition this weekend, just regardless of opponent. Yeah, I think, I mean, what you touched on there with having a backer option all the time coming up the middle creates holes for the outside hitter when they're out of system, you know, in the block. And I think as an outside hitter, a lot of times those balls can be coming from very far off the net and you maybe can't see the block until you're just swinging it's a lot easier for you to go around one person than it is, you know, two in front of you. Right. So that part of it obviously contributed and it's good to have that option in the back row um, just to spread things out. Um, but just to have Nora, like, I mean, that was incredible. The numbers that you shared um, out of system, it's just crazy. Um, but yeah, she's terminal. And I think that's the thing you always know about Nora having watched her now for several years, right? Wherever she is, she's going to put a ball down and she has the capability to do it. So it doesn't come as a surprise, but the efficiency rate that she's able to do it at um, is kind of mind boggling when you think about it. 
Especially because she's like just back. There's no, you figure like knock yeah. some rust off something, right? No, just come right in and, I mean, last weekend she comes in as back row only and nails two aces right away. It's like okay, that's that's okay, all right. You're just like that, huh? And then this weekend, oh yeah, we're gonna let you hit. And then she just comes in and you know four forty and four seventeen or what whatever four oh six like, just absurd, you know. I I don't know if she's trying to make up for lost time, or if she's just super like, you know juiced up to be playing volleyball again because you know i think the the prevailing kind of characteristic of her and what her kind of secret sauce is that she just loves playing volleyball like she hates missing practice she hates missing reps um in practice and you know i think maybe that five weeks like i don't know if you're nor assist and you love volleyball as much as you do and you have to sit out for five weeks and you can't do anything not even pass like that probably just like you're probably chomping at the bit, right? Yeah, I'm sure. And you know, in that time, you wonder like, did she just visualize playing, you know, so much? Because that's obviously a big thing when you can't physically do any of the skills that you're used to doing on a daily basis for several hours. You know, it's like, okay, can I dream about volleyball? Can I mentally go through reps <laughs> of that? And you know, it's like those things of. And it helps. That's the crazy thing. It's like they found that it helps just to even visualize doing, um, you know, things. So maybe that's part of it. Maybe, you know, it's probably a lot of contributing factors. I mean, rest never really hurt anybody, right? So that part of it is nice. That's fair. I mean, thinking about things, sometimes it's nice to step back. And even though it's hard to not participate in practice, you can step back and think about, okay, how can I do things differently or could I tweak this or that? Sometimes it's just a different perspective watching versus doing. It's going to be interesting to watch her the rest of the year. Right. Because you know, what's I'm kind of curious about and uh, it's just like sometimes, and especially for her, like in the, in, in her career, when she's had sets or sequences where she's been a little bit higher you know, Creighton will pull her aside, have her sit next to Angie, kind of just like talk her through some things, have her watch a couple plays and then put her back out there and she's like ready to go, you know? I'm curious if these five weeks, you know, because of how just in tune to volleyball that she is and how much she loves the game, if she didn't get better without playing. Is that, is that, am I, am I like swinging at nothing here? Like, because I don't know, is there, is there a mental component? Is there a cerebral component to what she was able to see from a different point of view for those five weeks that could potentially benefit her play on the court? I think, I mean, I think you can learn a lot when you're not playing. And I think when you step back and just watch people that play your position, right? Okay, what did they do in this situation? Like, how does a player do this really well? And I think you try to take that from different players you play with. Okay, this person is a really good pin blocker. Like, let me watch like how they line up, what they're looking for. Let me ask them like, hey, like, what are you looking at? Right? Like, it's those things of you try to pick up little nuggets of people doing things really well. And can I incorporate that into what I'm going to do? So, you know, maybe that's part of it. Maybe it's part of, I mean, her helping too. Obviously, she's played the outside position at a really high level for Creighton for several years. And I'm sure there were conversations with Destiny and Adam Simpson of, 
hey, like you got this, this is what you can look for here. And sometimes even like vocally going through, like, it's almost like you're a coach, right? I think you get to that point of like, I got to that point when I was a senior in my fifth year of, hey, I could like tell you what to look for this because I've just done it so many times. And sometimes mm -hmm. players younger than you don't, don't realize that as fast, right? So it's sometimes those things are verbalizing things that you maybe don't even think that you think about because you're at a level of like, oh, I don't have to think about it. I just know it, right? So yeah, yeah. sharing things like that, I think could be really helpful and just help you mentally think about the game maybe a little bit differently for a while. Yeah, I mean, I think I notice it when players are out and they have to kind of like figure out a role in a way in order to help the team a little bit. Um, you know, I can think of Carly Berger, formerly Carly Tritz. Like, I know when she decided to retire uh, due to injuries, um, what year was it, 2013 maybe? No, it was the year after that. It was, I don't know, I forgot. These were the years running together. But, I mean, she immediately like started incorporating, like, transitioning into kind of seeing the game from a different lens and trying to help her team be successful. And now she's, you know, an assistant coach, you know, and fully ingrained in it and everything like that. So I just wonder if like a five week time period for Nora, knowing that she was, you know, cause with her injury, it wasn't really day to day. She was out indefinitely, you know? So she probably knew, you know, I'm going to be out a minute here. Like I, I need to figure out a way to still kind of make an impact here and maybe just seeing the game, from a coach's lens and being able to, you know, stay with it and make an impact in any way she could while she was out enhanced her ability to do it as a player a little bit. I'm just, you know, spitballing here, but I think it, I, I've seen it happen before. So it makes me wonder if, if she didn't get better in some manner while she wasn't playing. Um, I guess we'll see, won't we? Uh, other performances, when we've talked about these players the last, uh, last week for sure um, is Kiara Reinhardt and Ellie Bickelmeyer. So I don't know. Have you ever had a cortisone shot, Meg? I know you went through a lot of injuries. Did you? Yeah. My... Yeah. What are those? Uh, yeah. What are those things feel like? Cause good Lord, Ellie Bickelmeyer, like a whole different player. <laughs> um, feels good. Takes away the inflammation and the stuff that causes the pain usually. Nice. Um, but I don't know. It's, it's a hard balance. I think, especially it's like your shoulder, obviously like you're using that all the time constantly. And like, my ankle when I got it, I'm like, you're jumping constantly. So like, how long is it really gonna like, for sure, me, right? When I'm practicing two and a half hours, three hours a day. So yeah, but yeah, the immediate relief, I think is really good. And hopefully, I mean, you can stretch it out. I think that's the hard part is you don't want to like be constantly. Yeah, because you can't get I don't, think you, I don't think you can get what they have to like segment them out like months at a time, right? You can't just like, get one every before every match it's that's crazy oh, right like you have to yeah, get I one think, and then it's like four months or something right yeah there's some sort of timeline because i think you can like break down your tissue if you do it too yeah often. so sure. obviously long term you don't really want that for sure yeah um but yeah no i'm i'm glad it's helping obviously when you get to that point of like needing to get a cortisone shot i think you've got some somewhat lingering you know issues that They've probably tried every other trick in the book, right? And you have to resort to that. So, but as long as it provides relief and she's able to perform at a high level, I think obviously to her, it would be worth it. Um, I know it was when I got one as well, but her performance yeah. has certainly shown that we think it's working. So yeah, I guess bad... long-term again, like, you know, go for it. Not a bad decision, right? Uh, you know, I mean, it's just like, it just looks like she's a different, 
I, I, I think she just looks more confident in what she, you know, because she had a good career at Rice. So when Creighton pulled her out of the portal, you know, it felt like, oh, yeah, this is going to be something that really, you know, diversifies their offense a little bit. Um, definitely someone that once they get the connection down with Kendra Waite, that she can be a trusted offensive option. And that's the other part of it, too. It's not just the cortisone shot. You know, they've talked multiple times now over the last couple of weeks that the connection between her and Kendra has gotten, you know, demonstratively better because, you know, Ellie Bickelmeyer has a certain type of ball that she likes, whether it's tempo or height, um, that the connection has gotten a lot better on that. So not just, you know, we talked about the cortisone shot. Obviously, that helps. Not being not having pain in your shoulder when you're swinging is a duh. But the connection, too, is a big deal, right? And I guess, you know, we probably maybe overlooked that a little bit to a degree with her coming in brand new. You know, they did have the extra practices with the Italy trip. Um, but getting that connection down with your setter and a new hitter, that's that's a big deal. You know, and it seems like Kendra is kind of getting a good connection down with a lot of the hitters now, especially with when you look at what Kiara Reinhardt has done lately, Ellie Bickelmeyer has done lately. Obviously, Nora and Ava, she's had great connection with for a long time, and Kiana Schmidt a long time as well. But it, I don't know. For Ellie in particular, it looks like connection is probably as big of a deal as, you know, whatever treatment she's got to get her shoulder right, don't you think? Yeah, for sure. I think, I mean, the connection just looks a little bit more smooth. And I think that's something you could just see, even if you're not like a constant watcher of like, she said it and it was in a great spot and it was a really aggressive swing. Um, so from that standpoint, just stepping back from it, I think it just looks a little bit smoother and cleaner and more comfortable probably for Ellie. So from, you know, from that standpoint, when you feel comfortable, you know, what set you're getting, you can explore hitting different shots and using the block and just knowing where to expect that ball sometimes can be the hard part of trying to learn, you know, your setter. Okay. What does she like to do? If she's running forward, is she going to throw it way back to me? And what sort of tempo am I looking for on that? Or am I going to get set out of system? What type of ball is that? And, you know, we've talked about a lot of times it's more of like, I got to set my hitter. I not as much as like, I can just set the spot. And sometimes you have to learn some players like a ball really fast. Like when I, played middle I just like the ball like zero tempo like extremely fast like that's what I wanted to do and a lot of middles don't like that right they want to hang a little bit and see the ball in front of them and then hit it so it's just it's that learning process that can sometimes take a minute just to figure out okay what ball do I need to set you in every different position on the court that the setter's in yeah and honestly when you look at uh Saturday's match I believe it's when they played Saturday right yeah. Yeah. Uh, against Providence, you know, Creighton rolled Providence in set one. It was 25-7, just never totally non-competitive set from start to finish. Um, set two was different, though. Providence actually got off to a good start, built a pretty big lead. They were up 17-10, um, and they were up 19-14. And then Ellie Bickelmeyer had five kills in Creighton's 11-2 run to end set two. Like, she just took over. And I think that's – for the right side to do that. I know some of the kills were on overpasses by Providence. So like, I think she had two of them that way, but still three kills from your right side in crunch time, essentially when you're trying to rally, that's, that's pretty big, especially for this offense that hasn't really been able to, you know, trust its right side at end game. Like, you know, you talked about it way back in late August, early September. Like you just at the, at the end of sets, 
like you know where you got to go with the ball because you got to put the ball down and get the to get the set right so i don't know i think it's a big deal and she was big time at the end of that set but it's also a big deal and it clearly shows the confidence that her and Kendra are having with each other that 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 that, that connection is getting a lot better that Kendra kind of went to her a lot when Creighton was trying to put together a big rally and go up 2-0 on the road, right? Yeah, I think that was fun to see. I mean, obviously, like you said, we talked about it. Not, We weren't really sure like who that right side hitter was going to be right for a while. And um, I think even if Destiny Dom Simpson wasn't hurt, right, I was interested to see that position battle kind of happen again that we saw at the beginning of season, just with Norris yep. now on outside and that shift of, pin hitters and who's available um but obviously Ellie Bickelmeyer has done a great job and that trust like you touched on the trust of being able to throw that ball behind you and feel really confident is something that was missing and that's a whole other dynamic to this offense and um we have that back row attack now right we've got two really reliable back row attackers we have great outsides obviously the middle connection continues to look really strong and then the right to connection now is kind of coming on a little bit later in the season. So it's been fun to just see the progression of where the offense sort of started and how it morphed, especially yeah. who's available. Um, and now to have a little bit more consistency of like, okay, this is who's in the spot. Let's get this connection dialed in. Let's be really efficient. And they had moments of obviously very efficient offensive play across the board from several players this weekend. Yeah, I'm really curious to get your thoughts on that too, because that was one of the things that you know, we touched on maybe early in the non-con throughout the non-con that this is kind of like an atypical Creighton team because, you know, they're more, they were more basing their success off defense and passing than they were off just offensive parity and ability to put the ball down and outscore teams and go on runs. Right. Um, but now this offense looks like it's humming all of a sudden, like you're looking for points in the year where, you know, you kind of hit your stride, start peaking a bit, you know. Obviously, you want it to be later in the season because that's when you're playing your most important matches. But, you know, whenever it happens, it kind of looks like this, doesn't it? And I know, you know, they played Villanova, Georgetown, Providence, and Cre- or UConn. I get it. But, I mean, it's four matches in a row over two weekends. So, it's not just like they rolled out and had a hot, had a heater, you know. They've had resets, and they've just come out and played some pretty consistent, clean volleyball offensively. I think they're hitting 409 their last four matches. Just an absolutely staggering number, right? And it kind of coincides with having Nora Sis back. You know, we talked about the impact she has from a passing standpoint and just a calm that she has on the court with her, you know, just her personality, right? So there's there's something to that. And the fact that she was able to hit and do it at a high clip this weekend is big too. But I, I just can't get my focus off of Kiara Reinhardt mainly, but also Ellie Bickelmeyer, because I just think you're changing you're changing Creighton's scout like mid to late season to a degree. Don't you think like if you have a middle in Kiara Reinhardt who, you know, can terminate that quick ball in the middle of the net, and you also have one in Kiana Schmidt who's deadly on the slide. And now you have Ellie Bickelmeyer who's starting to get some confidence with her setter on the right side. And then you have Ava and Nora who rotate the left pin in back row. What do you do? You know what I mean? You're watching Creighton film going, this is not the team that we scouted in in September. Like, it's a totally different offense, it looks like. I mean, Kiara Reinhardt this weekend 
was five for five on first ball kills against UConn. So, you know, that she got a lot of sets and she put the ball down. Like, she's playing at a really high level right now. Um, you know, we talked about Ali Bukhamar. We talked about Nora Ava. Like, what does this offense look like to you? Oh, you also you have an ex- aggressive setter in Kendra Waite who can get you five or six kills on a good night and hit at 400 to 500, you know, without any errors. Like, what does this offense look like to you? Does it look more like the typical, prototypical Creighton offense that you're used to kind of seeing, you know, for the past decade where it's multiple options, it's efficiency, it's it's good connection. It just looks like it's a hard, hard, hard thing to deal with. Yeah, I think that's a good way to think about it. it it's hard for opposing teams to kind of figure out who are they going to go to? And that's the part, you know, of season that you want to get into where you have options, you trust all your hitters and you can keep the other team on their toes. Um, but I agree. I think their identity has shifted a little bit from the beginning of season to now, which is, it's fun to see. And honestly, I don't think there's a better time for it to happen. Just looking ahead at their schedule of kind of coming into that offensive parity and the confidence and really efficient play. I mean, you play Villanova, you play Georgetown, and then you have that DePaul Marquette weekend at home, which is obviously going to be really huge. So to see that part of your game take a step forward, I think just consistently over the last four matches, as you said, is really exciting. And hopefully they can maintain that level of play and then obviously that Marquette match is going to be the big one, you know, for the Big mm-hmm. East championship regular season, probably. So if, you know, if they can knock that off and maybe get another win. So we'll see. I don't know. I'm interested to kind of see how it plays out. Obviously players coming back from injury and that sort of thing. Um, but they've definitely hit in their stride, hit their stride offensively just based upon, you know, the recent matches. Well, it's going to be big too, because you're going to need, they're going to need to terminate. Yeah. You know, defensively, they're just not, they're not as good right now with Ellie Bolton. That's just a fact. Like, if she's out, you know, she's your anchor, you know? So it's good to have a, you know, the Ava Martin kind of evolution that we've talked about throughout the season because she's turned into, you know, someone you can really trust from a passing standpoint, from a first contact standpoint. And, you know, maybe at times has been their best passer. Uh, and then you have Nora Sis, who you know is just nails passing, right? Like, that's just one of her big-time skills along with hitting is, like, she's just great at, you know, she's great at, like, scooping the ball. Um, You know, she does that technique really well. Um, She can get outside of her platform just because she's kind of um, – and make plays because she's really long and athletic, right? Like, she's not someone – she's not someone that's easy to put the ball down against. Like, she's really good at getting ups, you know? So you have those two. And it's kind of like pick your poison because you want to take away the first option offensively, right? You want to make them carry a heavy load, take the first contact. But if you have like both of them on the floor at the same time, which is going to be the rest of the season because they both have settled into now Ava's a trusted six rotation option and Nora always was. Now you can't really take away someone and have it make a big impact on Creighton's offense because whoever's getting the first contact is likely going to get the third or the other one's going to get the third, and they're probably going to put the ball down, you know? So the passing part of it is going to be huge, but Creighton's going to have to terminate at a high rate because they just aren't going to be as solid defensively without Ellie Bolton in the lineup and Sidney Bryson So, you know, other players are going to have to step up defensively, but Creighton's offense is going to have to carry the load while those players are out, you know? I, I That's just the way I feel about it. I don't know how you feel. 
That's a good point. Obviously, Ellie Bolton is a huge loss, and we don't know long-term, you know, what her availability looks like. But, yeah, I mean, you have to put balls down. And at times this season, they sh- they've they struggled, right, to be terminal at times. Yes. End of matches and end of sets, that sort of thing. So to see the evolution is really exciting. Obviously, you hope that you can get some of your defensive players back and – have your defense kind of rise and love a lot of like we're playing really solid defense we're playing really solid offense we're just a really well-rounded team but mm-hmm. in the meantime if your identity is going to be offense I think you're taking a step in the right direction um, and hopefully it continues you know to be held to that really high level and really efficient level I think that's the hard thing of maintaining efficiency offensively mm-hmm. long term across several matches yeah no doubt and you touched on the schedule perfectly, but I mean, it just honestly, you know, but when they step on the court next, it'll be October 27th. So it's the last weekend of October, essentially. November is basically you, you start to feel postseason right around the corner, you know. But if you look at the schedule, it's like it's kind of go time for Creighton. Like at Villanova and Georgetown, those are two places that are hard to play. Like, you know, from your career, like those are not places you can just roll in and, and whip some ass and go home, you know, like those are going to be dog fights. Um, Georgetown's a lot better and Villanova just beat St. John's. So, uh, you know, those are teams that aren't going to lay down for Creighton. So that's going to be a tough road trip. They'll be the second week in a row away from home. Then they're going to come back on, on the next weekend and they're going to play a Friday morning match. So it's a weird start time against a scrappy team that has a stud outside that can get on heaters and has, gotten on heaters against Creighton in the past. Um, And then you have Marquette on Sunday afternoon, uh, which is going to be a huge match because you need to knock them off if you want to, if you want to win another Big East title. Then you have to go on the road again. And it's Seton Hall who is playing a lot better under their second year of a head coach. Now Um, is a scrappy team tough to terminate against. And then the other side of that is on the next day, less than 24 hours later, you get to play a St. John's team that's top 50 RPI, beat Marquette, you know, is trying to push themselves into that at-large conversation, trying to play good volleyball at the end of the year. Um, then you come back home for the final weekend and you play a Xavier team that already beat you and a Butler team that's just a little bit unorthodox and tough to deal with. Um, it's It's go time. That schedule looks like it's – the way it sets up right now, it just feels like go time. It feels like – this is your championship path. Make the most of it. Make make of it whatever you will, right? Yeah, I think so. And especially, I mean, ha- them having played UConn and Providence this weekend, I mean, like you said, they're bottom of the league. And then all these other teams, you know, you have some history there of playing back and forth and going five sets or losing, especially this year yeah. against Xavier yeah. and Marquette. So it's kind of that postseason vibe as you said that mindset of we have to play really good clean volleyball in every single match so that we can set ourselves up for our long-term goals for this season I mean you're so right because like you know you guys have lost at Villanova or not you guys but Creighton has lost at Villanova I'm not hanging everything on Meg sorry she won a lot uh they lost it they've lost at Villanova they've gone five at Georgetown they've gone five with DePaul they've lost to Marquette in their own gym before um, they've lost to Seton Hall. They've lost at St. John's. They just lost to Xavier for the first time ever this year. And they've gone five with Butler before. So, yeah, it's like there isn't a team left on Creighton's schedule, regardless of what their record looks like or their RPI, 
that hasn't had a history of rising to the occasion and giving Creighton, you know, their A game, right? So that's the challenge now. It's like as much as it from the outside looking in, you look at Creighton's schedule and go, oh, yeah, it's the Big East. They're going to roll. Like this is the stretch now where there's a lot of teeth on this schedule the rest of the way. Like um, just to put it in basketball terms, there's only one quad four game left on Creighton's schedule, if that makes sense to a lot of our listeners. Like, you know, they have two quad one games against Marquette and St. John's, a quad two game against Villanova on Friday, and then three quad four games. So, like, this is not going to be a cakewalk for the Jays. They have to play well. Yeah, I'm interested to see. Obviously, that St. John's match is a really interesting one for me. Like, playing at St. John's, I'm just interested to see how St. John's kind of comes out and takes control of the match if they do and Creighton, you know, can kind of respond. Um, I believe Marquette lost at St. John's, right, when they lost this yes, season? They yeah, did, yes. So that's, that's always something for me. I think they have a lot of energy at home, and sometimes if you catch them, like, away from home, in Creighton's gym, it, it's not obviously the same result and same sort of energy from that yeah. team. Um, and then Marquette, obviously, everyone has that one circled on their calendar as going to be a great match. So yeah, there's mm-hmm. just a lot of a lot of hair on this one, and a lot of a lot of these teams just could honestly they could be competitive matches when on paper maybe they shouldn't be. So that part of yeah. it is is kind of fun. Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's do everyone's favorite game where we go through and see how Creighton's non-conference opponents are doing. Um, Nebraska is undefeated, just beat Wisconsin. They're not going to lose all year. They're one of the best teams I've ever seen in my life. Unbelievably talented, crazy young. I can't believe they're this good already. I feel like Nebraska is going to go on one of those, like, I said it earlier this morning um, in a text message. I think they're going to go on, like, a Stewie-type UConn run where it's just, like, four for four and – Harper Murray is generational and yeah. They're oh, just yeah. Gonna... They're like the Penn State of when Penn State won like yeah. or whatever. In yeah, exactly. Like I just, I, I just, they're just unbelievable to watch right now. They didn't even play, they literally did not even play a good match against Wisconsin. Gave them like 50 free points. They had like, I'm trying to think, they had 28 unforced errors. They had 11 service errors, four block or four net violations, just handed Wisconsin points. Like, all night long and they won against Wisconsin. And it's like, what they've already rolled Stanford in their own gym. I just, I, it was Nebraska and Florida for me and Florida is not healthy and they're not going to get healthy. So now it's like Nebraska is on their own tier and everyone else is just chasing them in my opinion. So they're really good. I don't think they're going to lose all year. Um, Just unbelievable team. Uh, Purdue is actually getting itself together a little bit here. Uh, they just went on the road and beat Penn State. So they've got their RPI up in the top 15 now. I don't know what's left on their schedule, but uh, looks like they have Wisconsin twice, Penn State one more time. So they actually have some some big-time matches ahead of them. Those are all in November, but, yeah, they still have Minnesota twice. Um, yeah, that's – so Purdue has an opportunity to kind of still – you know, knock off some more really good teams and bolster that win for Creighton that the Jays got um, on opening weekend in their in West Lafayette. Um, Iowa State's a top forty RPI team right now, um, so they're they're doing what Creighton kind of needed them to do from us from that standpoint. I think they've lost three in a row in conference, but um, two of them were at BYU and one was at Kansas State. So 
not like soul crushing losses or anything. Those are really good teams. Um, but you probably want to see them start to get it back together a little bit and uh, finish strong. But right now they're hanging around top 40 RPI wise. So still a really good win for the Jays. Um, Minnesota was or still is kind of on the fritz a little bit. So I'm not really sure what to think, but you know, they have won four in a row since getting beat by Maryland and Rutgers. Um, and then they get Purdue and Wisconsin, I think, this upcoming week. So, and Ohio State, who was overrated. But anyway, um, so they have a chance to kind of get their season back on track a little bit. Uh, Northern Iowa is on an absolute tear right now. They've won 12 matches in a row. They're 11-0 and in conference play. Look like far and away the best team in the NBC. And they are now comfortably in the top 50. So that's a really big win for the Jays to hang their hat on there. Um, so that's kind of like four big time resume wins for Creighton right now. And only one of them happened at home. And then the next one, I guess, is Marquette two weeks from now is, you know, Marquette's a top 25 RPI team. So if all things hold serve and Creighton, you know, splits that season series with Marquette, they would have five top 50 wins and a five and two record against the top 50 with one of the losses or two of the both of the losses being without Norris's. On the road at Nebraska and at Marquette would be a you know you're you're starting to as you're piecing together the resume, it starts to look like a pretty awesome one, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it's starting to look good. Obviously, I mean a win against Marquette, I think would be a really nice little shining star on your resume, right? I mean that'd just yeah. be a nice addition. Um, but yeah, I think they are in good position for what they want to do long term in that third part of season, like we talked about. Yeah. Oh, and LSU's 61 right now in the RPI, so they're climbing. Uh, High Point's doing their thing. You know, they're they're always dominant in the Big South. They're 61. Loyola Chicago is handling business against bad competition, but they're winning. So they're, they've kind of got their season back on track. They're up to 500 now, 11 and 11. They've won nine in a row. So they're a top 75 team. So when you're looking for teams that are kind of like going to you know, help your resume out like one, two, three, six, seven top 75 wins right now for Creighton with one more on the schedule or two more on the schedule, excuse me, in St. John's and Marquette. So an opportunity now to get as many as nine top 75 wins with most of them coming away from home. Um, it's kind of what you want when you hand your resume out to the committee and say, hey, we think we should be hosting. That's kind of the number you want, you know. Yeah, for sure. I think obviously a lot of it is hard. I mean, we go through like who's winning, right? Who's winning yeah. that beat? And that part of it's hard to know what's going to play out. And obviously you kind of take a gamble of this team's going to be great. And then it turns yeah. out, okay, they did not perform as well as we thought they would. Right. But yeah. all in all, I think the way that it was scheduled and the wins that Creighton was able to pick up in the preseason and then obviously against St. John's in conference play um, is going to be very positive for the committee looking at you know where they should either be sent or if they should host that sort of thing so we'll see that's the exciting part so I'm I'm excited obviously getting way too far ahead of ourselves but that's what um, we're supposed to do on this podcast yeah (laughs) that's true that's still several weeks you know going forward but um Gee, yeah, you everybody listen how Meg nearly chastised me there because she came from the one match at a time mantra. She almost she almost, <laughs> she almost jumped on me there. It's been great. Um, yeah, I think, but are we both in agreement this year that this team should like probably want to host? Like we've seen now enough matches home and road where we feel like 
I just feel like this team plays at a really high level in their own gym. So I know in years past we've been like, you know, they've they've. It's not like Creighton's incapable of winning on the road. Obviously, they've won at Purdue, won at Minnesota. They beat Iowa State away from home. Like they're capable. So it's not like a death sentence if they don't host. But when you watch the level of play when they're in their own gym, I think this team would play really well if they are healthy. Let's make that a number one caveat because that's been the bugaboo the last two years. If they are healthy in their own gym, I think they're going to be really hard to beat. I agree. I think they've played really well at home. And for whatever reason, you know, it's the crowd or the environment that they're used to. I think they thrive on that. And they just seem maybe more comfortable um, at home and just, I don't know, it's just like the energy shift. Sometimes it's hard yeah. away from home. I just think I just think some teams don't need it and some teams thrive. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Some teams, I think some teams like can be indifferent to it. I think, you know, I think some of your teams were a little bit indifferent to it. Like they, you didn't care if you had 2000 screaming at you or 2000 screaming for you, you know, you guys were able to perform. I think this team goes to a really, really high level when they have the crowd at their, at their back. You know, I think they feed off that energy. Um, their play all over the court in every phase is affected in, in a positive way by it. And so I think, you know, I know history wouldn't tell you that Creighton's done well when they've hosted compared to when they've been on the road. But I think this team just seems like they're a lot more like they can play. I think they can go to a higher level in their own gym with their own fans, 2000 plus backing them. So I think that's what, you know, I think Creighton should if if they want to host again, they should want to host with this team because this team plays at a really high level in that gym with that crowd. It's always the topic, though. Everybody's like, well, they haven't won at home before. so Yeah, it's the hard. I don't know. You never know how it's going to shake out, obviously. And the matchups obviously play a huge role in mm-hmm. what happens. But, yeah, I don't, I'm interested to see what happens. Just I don't feel like they have any, like, huge wins that I'm like, oh, yeah, like, that's an amazing win, right? Like, I don't, they're just – they're good, obviously. They're yeah. so Wins, but it's well the the Marquette yet. one will be the the Marquette one would be the first like that would be the one where you're looking at like okay what does this team look like when they're playing an actual NCAA tournament caliber I mean Northern Iowa was another one but like Northern Iowa Marquette those will be the two that you look at when you assess their performances in terms of how they how they do how they how they shore up at home I guess right yeah I think so it's yeah it's that hard part of who have we played at home and obviously yeah. they the road a lot more than they usually do in preseason this year and played really good teams but you know not at home as much I didn't think so that part of it will be interesting to get Marquette you know on their home floor and see how they they come out and start that match the sort of energy they have and if they feed off the crowd and you know just kind of how they respond when they get pushed because obviously Marquette's going to put a lot of pressure on you yeah for sure um so yeah that's the that's the pod for this week uh upcoming creighton's at villanova and georgetown as we've said they'll play villanova on friday at 6 p.m and then they'll head off to dc the next day and play the hoyas at 5 p.m on saturday oh and by the way it looks like that matches on hoya vision so f georgetown for that because everyone's got to pay seven dollars <laughs> seven dollars to watch that match it's not on flow sports so georgetown's gonna charge you all extra for watching that so that's awesome they don't every other georgetown match is on flow sports except for their volleyball team what's going on there like why does their volleyball team need to charge seven dollars for go to watch them 
what's 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 up with that? I have no idea. I'm just Meg, this is the stuff that pisses me off, you know. This is the stuff that well that annoys me because it's like at least when we played at Georgetown, they like never had any fans there either. So it's like Oh really? Yeah. No. Yeah, like, no, it's I don't know. So Saturday, Saturday's gonna be annoying. I probably won't even watch the match because I'm not paying seven dollars. Not giving yeah, I'm not, not giving Georgetown <laughs> I'm not giving Georgetown seven dollars. I'm not doing it. I'm not the let's see what I'm just yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not paying that much to watch this game. Sorry. Let me see what they're charging people here. Let's see if I can find it real quick. Yeah, look at all their all their events are locked. Like this is ridiculous. So how do you okay? We're gonna just yeah, a twenty-four hour pass is six ninety-five. Like, stop it! Are you serious? No, I'm not paying. Not for what that. I paid for Flow Sports. Okay. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying, right? Like, Flow Sports is what twelve ninety-nine. Like, if you yeah, are, yeah, I already, so we're paid already paid. For that. Yeah, we paid thirteen dollars for the whole conference to be on Flow Sports, and Georgetown wants to play. Give us. These they shouldn't be able. They should not be able to do that. I'm Agreed. sorry, but you should get absolutely no say. If it's going to be Flow Sports, it's going to be Flow Sports or all the conference, and you 100%. have no say. If it's not Flow Sports, it should be free because St. John's like they're on ESPN Plus or whatever. Free. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Garbage, garbage. Georgetown, boo, boo. Georgetown. All right, that's it for the pod. We don't have to get on big rants on that. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. For Megan Everson, I'm Matt DeMarinas. We'll talk to you all next week. Have a good one.